Hello, everybody. Today is Friday, January 31st, 2020. My name is Josh Neighbors, and this is Episode 5 of the Locked On Nationals podcast. Today joining me, Ryan Finkelstein of the Locked On Mets podcast for Part 2 of our four-part Nationals NL East Opponents Preview. We had Tim Kelly of the Locked On Phillies podcast come on this past Wednesday, and today it's Mr. Finkelstein of the Locked On Mets podcast. We hope you enjoy. Joining me today, Ryan Finkelstein of the Locked On Mets podcast. Very glad to have him on for part two of our National League East preview, previewing the Na- uh, Washington Nationals individual opponents. Today, the New York Mets. Ryan, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. Uh, by far the busiest and mo- in- most interesting offseason uh, in the National League East is owned by the New York Mets. Uh, they hired not one, but two managers this offseason. Um I think that's where we have to start. And I've been saying this ad nauseum on this podcast and, you know, just talking about the move to Luis Rojas, right? You, you get Beltron and obviously Brody Van Wagenen's got a lot of confidence in the roster he's building. He's been very aggressive this offseason. I think once Beltron left, hiring Rojas signaled that the Mets do believe in their current vision, their current roster, because they're hiring somebody from within. And I think the, the biggest signal to me about what what this hire meant is how much the players seem to have endorsed Luis Rojas. He was a quality control coach uh, last season, so he was with you know with the the uh, major league team, and he's been coaching in the minors for them as well too. So talk about kind of you know what you think this move to Rojas signals and how comfortable the team is with him because it seems like they wanted to keep as much continuity as possible and not shake things up by bringing somebody in from the outside. Well, I think if you look back, the Carlos Beltran hire might have been more of a hire for the fans and the players. The fan base got really excited about it. It was a big name. I think they were trying to play into the whole narrative of his Hall of Fame career and all of that. But you see the outpouring from these players, and clearly Luis Rojas was their favorite all along. I mean, Beltran got some support from the players, but nothing like what we've seen come in for Rojas. So I'm glad they made the right move. He's someone who really worked his way up through the system. And I think the difference too, between Rojas and Beltran is Rojas has a lot more experience in this job. They were saying that Rojas was really the guy that was helping Beltran get acclimated. So this was the smoothest transition possible. I think that he's going to be a great fit. The question now is just more about the roster. I don't think that Rojas is going to have any problems commanding that locker room and really leading the team this year. You know, you you mentioned the roster, and there wasn't – turnover is not the right word. They were just flat-out aggressive in in the offseason, and they addressed a lot of areas of need. I think it's – I think bullpen, when when you think about it on a grand scale, like, you know, in general, bullpen is the – least sexy thing to talk about, but obviously we've seen the importance of it. And I think the Nationals were, um, I'm not sure anybody's going to be able to recreate what the Nationals did last year. If there's anybody who could, it's the Mets. And what I mean by that is if they got into a situation in the playoffs where they, you know, they wanted to use their starters, um, it, you know, in to close out games or, or, you know, to, to help them out in the back end of games, the Mets are equipped with the arms to do it. Would they like to do it? Probably not. But that's why they did address the bullpen some. And the biggest acquisition, I think the most important acquisition the Mets made, was Dylan Batances this offseason because, oh, buddy, the back end, it was not pretty for the Mets last year. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think actually that is the one thing that comes out of that Carlos Beltran hire. I don't know if they signed Batances, if not for Beltran being in place. So you have to wonder how Batances feels now that Beltran's out. But Batances is really the linchpin here. And the other thing, too, is I think Edwin Diaz is primed for a big bounce-back season. Familia can't really be worse. And when you look at bullpens, it's so bipolar, right? Each year, guys can you know go from being lockdown relievers to absolutely terrible. So the fact that the Mets have a lot of guys coming off down years, I don't think that necessarily signals a bullpen that can't be effective this year. Yeah, and and you know the the bullpen, those guys Diaz and Familia. They can't be much worse, right? I mean, it was it, like their implosions last year were at times unbelievable. I, I think back to that one Dodgers game where Diaz came in, and I, I think it was a three or four run lead they had at Chavez Ravine. And I believe the, the, the only out he recorded was the sack fly that ended up ending the game and winning it for the Dodgers. So, you know, I think between Batances, Familia, and and Diaz, they're going to be able to find some semblance of continuity at the back end, don't you think? Absolutely, and you obviously can't forget Seth Lugo, too, coming right. off an outstanding year. So they have the arms to do it. I also like the addition or, I guess, the re-signing of Brad Brock for a really team-friendly deal. So they have the arms. We'll just see if it works out this year. Yeah, and then the starting pitching, too. So they lose Zach Wheeler. And I think what's interesting about Zach Wheeler, as somebody who watches you know, the Mets a lot, you can attest to this, that contract, they paid him for the guy he can be, not the guy he currently is. And is there a chance that he goes off and becomes that person you know, full-time, uh, for lack of a better word? Yes, there is. But the Mets could not pay him. They, he just did not give them enough to to justify that kind of money. And I'm glad for him. I'm glad a team is going to give him a chance because I think he's a hard worker and I think he is a good player. But I think the Mets made the right call in letting him walk. What do you think? Um, It's tough because the money was extreme. I mean, I think the interesting thing I've been comparing is, you know, in the past, someone like Madison Bumgarner hits free agency and they get paid for what they've done on the back of their baseball card, their resume. Wheeler, like you said, is getting paid on what he can do. I really feel like Wheeler was the second-best pitcher in the Mets rotation last year. So losing that is big. You're right with the dollar amount that he got. I don't know if it really worked with this specific team and their payroll, but that is a huge loss to me. And as much as you can say they have a former Cy Young coming in in Rick Porcello, he had the worst ERA in baseball last year. So... That's a big drop-off when you go from Zach Wheeler to Rick Porcello or Michael Waka. Yeah, I think with Porcello, what they're hoping to do, obviously, is you know when they made the change at pitching coach in the middle of last season, things got a lot better for the Mets. I think bringing Porcello in, they're hoping that they can kind of get him in, in a you know, they talk about quarterback rooms all the time in, um, in football and kind of that feel with the pitchers, kind of get him in that rotation and, and hope that some of the good stuff rubs off on him. Yeah, Wheeler was good in the second half last year, but still, you know, if you've watched him throughout his career, I, I don't know, Ryan, if you could say you totally trust him, right? Like, like there's, yes, he did give you a glimpse, and by a glimpse, half a season, it's not a small sample size. He gave you an idea of what he could be, and, and what we've all been, you know, what all the all the Mets fans were hoping that he could be, but he never realized that on a season long scale. 
he never put it together for a full season, but even with that, I think he was, you know, a four war pitcher last year. And there's not a ton of those when you really look at it. So granted, he hasn't put it all together, but he's been a really good second half pitcher the last two years. And so again, for the actual price tag, I don't know if it would have been worth it, but I do think that's the biggest loss this team has to overcome coming into the season. All right, and then also, too, the pitching side of things, you bring in Michael Waka, a guy from the St. Louis Cardinals, a guy with a lot of experience. Where do you see him fitting into the rotation, and what do you think the Mets starting five looks like when we reach opening day? Well, here's the thing. Michael Waka is a CAA client. Bertie Van Wagenen obviously used to run CAA. That kind of seems how this marriage happened. So that concerns me a little bit because if you're just looking at stuff and what they did last year, Michael Walker should not get near this rotation. And this idea that Steven Matz might get bumped to the bullpen for him just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But that is a possibility. So I personally think that it would make the most sense to have Walker be a swingman, a guy that's there for depth if somebody gets hurt. But with Brody Van Wagen running the team, I just can't say that for sure. You know, I would I would push back a little bit on that. I, I think Walker, you know, he has not been great as of late, but the thing is, Matt's has not has not earned a spot. Uh, I think off the bat, and so would I give them benefit of the doubt going into the season? Yes, I would. But I think I'm a little less resistant to the idea of Waka fitting into that rotation. Um, because and now, if Matt's is able to kind of stable things out, you know, I think he definitely definitely should have the spot. But you know. I think Waka can make a push for it. Is there anybody else that you think could crack it? Obviously, Lugo was so good out of the bullpen that I think they want to keep him there. But is there a chance you think we see him again or more likely be a guy like Robert Kesselman? Um, I think because of the signing of Waka, I don't think Lugo moves out of the bullpen. I think the idea in bringing all that depth was that Lugo kind of became one of the Mets' bullpen additions. And Kesselman kind of too, for that matter. They have a couple of options in the minor leagues that – I think the Mets would kind of bank on for depth past Waka. You have David Peterson, Thomas Zabacki, and a few others. So I don't see Lugo Gazelman factoring into the rotation. Um, just to kind of circle back to Mats for a second, though, the one thing he did last year is, I mean, he had, a, I think, a sub-3 ERA at home. There was a really bad start, and a few of them on the road, but particularly one where he, I don't even remember how many outs he even got against the Phillies uh, in Philadelphia, I think he gave up like 10 runs and yeah, didn't even get out of the first inning. So that really kind of dropped those numbers a little bit. So I, I do think that Matt's will claim a spot in the rotation, but I guess we just have to see who's healthy in camp and uh, you know how everyone looks. And then we move into the positional players, the guys who you know are going to be playing every single day. Uh, the, I, I know for a fact Bernie Van Wagenen really likes what he has there, and rightfully so. There is a lot to be excited about. Um, who are your two favorite additions that they made in that category? Give me two guys that the Mets brought in that you're really excited about this season. Well, I mean, if you're looking at the position players, they haven't really added much this offseason. What I will say is I think the biggest addition to this team is going to be a healthy Brandon Nimmo. Uh, He was hurt for most of last year. He had the neck injury, came back and really showed us that he was that same player that was uh, you know, 4.5 war player in 2018. So getting Nemo back is going to be big. And now that the outfield is pretty much set without the Starling Marte trade, UNS Espinosa's value has really kind of risen for this team. 
if he can come back and give him something as the starting left fielder, I think the Mets will be in a really good place. Yeah, it seems like UNSS Pettis only shows up when the team is good. Uh, when they're bad, he seems to disappear. Now, I know the injury last year did keep him out. But, yeah, what are you expecting from Cespedes? I think the layoff, if you're a Mets fan, has to worry you some. But also, too, that guy just seems to be able to show up and rake at will. Yeah, he's so naturally talented right. that I'm not really concerned about him being able to hit. Will it maybe take him some time? Yes, but they're saying he's cleared for the offensive side right now, for sure. So even if he can DH in spring training, he'll get those at-bats. My concern is how are those legs going to hold up? He obviously had the two heel surgeries, the ankle injury. And before that, it seemed like any time Cespedes broke into a full sprint, he was pulling a muscle. So can he play the outfield is, I guess, my biggest concern. I do think that when you look at the defensive side of the ball, though, he's going to be better in left field than Dominic Smith or J.D. Davis or anyone else that they put out there just being a natural outfielder. The question is, can he stay on the field? Yeah, he's an electrifying player. In 2015, that that guy was just a house of fire um, for them. So moving on to, you know, I think the three young guys that really stepped up for the uh, the Mets last year obviously were Davis, um, McNeil, and then the polar bear, Pete Alonso. Those three guys are going to be really – key factors for them do you think for the are they going to need to produce at the same level um they did last year for the Mets to have a chance to win this division because look they could be good but this is such a difficult division you've got the World Series champion you've got the Braves who I think are going to be angry and I think they're they've they might win this they might have this division locked up by August um I I think I think there's a chance I know it sounds crazy but I think they might be playing angry this season and then the Phillies too obviously you can't count them out Yeah, I agree. I mean, Atlanta, like you said, definitely is the team to beat. And then the Phillies, while I don't really love their roster, I really do like Joe Girardi. I think he's someone who is going to come in and really win a lot of games in the regular season. So they're going to be really competitive. Uh, As it relates to those players you were talking about, I think the Mets need everything they can get from Pete Alonso and Jeff McNeil for sure. Uh, McNeil, now that you see Donaldson and Rendon lead the division, McNeil is all of a sudden probably the best third baseman in this division. Right. And so those two guys at the corners are crucial to what the Mets do. I think J.D. Davis, like I said, he really needs to work on the defense. If he can come back and be closer to an average left fielder, that would help transform their offense. And then the other guy I want to mention real quick is Ahmed Rosario. He was really a key factor in that second half surge. In the first half, his defense was really bad at shortstop. He improved that month after month. And he was, he might have led the team in hits. I don't even know by the end of the year. Yeah, he was really consistent last year. I mean, he, yeah. he played pretty like pretty much every day, I think. Yeah, him, him and Alonzo were always in the lineup. McNeil had a couple hamstring injuries. So, yeah, Rosario is really crucial to what they do. If you look on the roster, he's pretty much the only shortstop, unless Luis Guillorme does make the roster, but he's really the only guy that's going to be playing there. So Rosario is a really important factor that a lot of times gets overlooked. So the over-under win total, this one's according to Odd Shark on this, this season for the New York Mets, is 86.5. Over or under? I think I know where you're going. Yeah, I can't, uh, can't go under. My fans will hate <laughs> me, right? No, yeah, they, I, they I can't def- have that. 
I, I, I think that it's going to be – the Mets have kind of been the same story since 2015. It's, you know, can you get that pitching into the playoffs? And they've only done that once. It's making the World Series. If everything breaks right, they're going to be really good. And you can see a couple injuries really derailing this team. So I'll take the over, but I'm a little bit cautious in taking the over. What's really odd is, so I'm looking down at the Nationals over under win total, and it's 90 and a half. If you were to, t- if you ask me to set those lines, I would actually flip those, just because I think th- I think the Nationals are going to go through a big learning curve playing without Rendon. I think he's one of those players that, because of kind of his nature and his quiet leadership, he's one of those guys where you're just not going to miss him until you're gone every single, or you know, until he's gone every day. If that makes sense, you know, he's the lack of him being there every day is going to affect you. But with but with that in mind, you know, I, I feel like if you know if you were to t- if you if I were to tell you, hey, who do you think is going to win more games this year, the Nationals or the Mets? I think I would say New York. Would yeah, you? Yeah, I think if you look last year, I mean, these teams are separated by I think three games, if I'm not mistaken. So they were pretty much on par. The one thing that I will say is that that starting pitching for the Nationals was really outstanding, and I think along with losing Rendon. You got to worry about a World Series hangover there. Those guys threw a lot of innings, and if we've seen in the past with the Mets after they went to the World Series, you saw injuries the next year to Harvey and Degrom and Stephen Matz. The whole rotation got banged up. The Red Sox this past season, Chris Sale had to go through a big learning curve to get back to what he was. So I would be concerned with that rotation. I think on paper it's still probably the best in the division, but can they? continue after going so deep into October last year. I think that is a big question mark, and that might be the difference that makes the Mets have more wins when it's all said and done. All right, Ryan, thank you so much for your time. Where can people find you on the socials? Uh, On Twitter, I'm at FinkelsteinRyan. All right, Ryan Finkelstein, the Locked on Mets podcast. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me.